The Manifesto Read. The Manifestos Analyzed by the Experts. Hey, it's Aya. So today we are going to be covering the education. Indeed we are. Indeed we are. What do you think is going to come up? Well, I I mean, it's interesting because obviously we're getting educators and people who are involved in education. And I haven't really been involved in education for the last 15 years. Well, let's be honest as well. Neither of us are state school educators. Gosh, are we scaring away potential listeners? I'm just going to put it out there. I'm just going to put it out there. (laughs) We're scaring away potential listeners by kind of Neither of us are state school educators. True, 93% of the population is. Is, yeah. And so everyone that we've got on this podcast works in the state school system. So I'm really curious to hear what they have to say. Definitely, me too. Hello, I'm Charlotte Nichols. I'm a deputy head teacher of a large comprehensive school in Surrey. I'm also director of initial teacher training uh, across our partnership of 10 schools, which span the county. Having gone through the comprehensive system myself and gone on to study languages at Oxford University, I know the benefits of going to comprehensive school firsthand. uh, And that's what attracted me to teaching it, which I've been doing since 2012. And being part of the leadership team means I really understand both what it's like Uh, on the ground and also how the government policies affect teachers and children and parents. My name is Echo Oliver. I'm the communications lead for Rivers Coaching, which is a social justice enterprise dedicated to the complete radical overhaul of the education system, um, ideally through the abolition of the current system that exists because it's terrible. Um, I've been doing that for two years. Previously, I was working in the youth sector, um, working with connections, doing a lot of um, public sector work. And I've also um, done some social media stuff as well, um, which is why I'm the communications lead there. My name is Yance Cooper. I am an initial teacher trainer with Teach First. I trained to teach through the Teach First uh, Leadership Development Programme in 2010, also as a languages teacher. And I've taught across secondary and primary since then. I've done a master's in comparative and international education. Um, My work since leaving the classroom has primarily been about the development of teachers and the addressing of the underrepresentation of BAME uh, leaders in school. And I do work um, in that area through advocacy and convening um, sector-wide events. I'm also a committee member for the Amos Bursary and we aim to provide um, British black boys with the social and academic capital that they need to um, get on and be incredibly successful. Uh, I'm Guy Forbat and I am Head of Music at William Ellis, which is an all-boys comprehensive in Camden. I am also the Secondary Music Coordinator for the London Borough of Camden uh, and I've also been a PGC tutor for Canterbury Christchurch University for music as well. I am also a Teach Firster. Um, I did that in 2012, so I've been teaching for about eight years. And prior to that, I did a, a degree in music and also did a master's in business management at the Judge Business School, which is in Cambridge. I am, oh, uh, yeah, I'm also um, governor of WAC Arts, which is a free school um, focusing on alternative provision for um, 14 to 18 year olds through a creative curriculum.
Hi everyone, um, I'm Lotus Bautista and I am currently the co-founder of an edtech or education technology company called Volo. Uh, we build career development technology for universities to enable them to put volunteering at the heart of students' career development and finding their path and their career through volunteering as opposed to other traditional routes um, such as internships. Pro uh, I've been doing that for about three and a half years and prior to that I was also um, a teacher at a secondary school. I taught English and politics. Um, when I was at teaching at a secondary school, I was also the assistant head of sixth form at a school in West London, and I was the lead teacher of politics. Um, so I set up a politics A level with a fellow Teach Firster when I started teaching. Um, since leaving the classroom, I've also become a primary school governor. So I've been a primary school governor for a state school in northwest London, one form entry school suffering a lot from the cuts in funding. Um, it's been particularly interesting to see how schools have dealt with the changes in the in the curriculum and the environment. I am very excited to share the summaries of today's manifestos. <laughs> Um, so the kind of top headlines for the the three the three parties are Labour's headlines are essentially that they're looking for a free education for everyone from early years all the way through to adult education. Um, they're looking particularly enhancing the areas of technical, vocational, academic and creative work, particularly in light of the fourth industrial revolution. The Conservatives, would, their top headlines are slightly different. They're very interested in putting lots more money back into the education system um, in enforcing discipline and highlighting their achievements with regards to behavior in schools um, and supporting head teachers to use exclusions as well as supporting teachers from a financial perspective and increasing their salaries. Uh, the Lib Dems are looking more at creating a world-class education system, uh, looking particularly at free childcare, ending testing, um, reversing the funding cuts and protecting the arts and creative subjects that have been previously cut. In terms of all three of the parties, their views on accountability, so that would be looking at things like Ofsted, are very different and far-ranging and are, uh, is essentially the first topic that I think we'd like to get our teeth into. Right, so we've got two of the parties, Labour and the Liberal Democrats, looking at scrapping Ofsted completely, am I right there? Yeah. Um, and replacing it with uh, a slightly different inspectorate, um, Labour talking about one that is focused on improvement. Um, Conservatives have spoken about uh, retaining Ofsted mostly in its current form. So Yancey, can I ask as a layperson, could you explain what Ofsted actually is and what it does at this moment in time? Sure. So um, it is an independent body that um, is used to go in and inspect schools and give them a grading um, from outstanding good requires improvement um, to inadequate or special measures and they the measures that they hold schools accountable for have kind of changed over time uh, we're looking at things like leadership um, curriculum guys help me out we've got um, behavior now they are looking somewhat at the social and emotional development of students um, and schools are depending on how well they have done. Um, if they've got a low grading such as requires improvement or um, special measures are inspected pretty regularly. Um, if you are an outstanding school, you can go... 10 years. 10 years without uh, another Ofsted We inspection. should say that um, Ofsted's just got undergone a radical change in the way that they are inspecting. Um, 
just which has only just started so proposing to scrap this will be a, another significant change for schools which are just getting their heads around the next new system I think that we're working towards from my perspective the changes to the system have been quite good so I uh, agree I agree yeah so we've moved away from judging teachers you hear a lot about that you, know, you get a grade mm-hmm. as a teacher how good are you based on a 15 minute observation there's been a move away from that to look more at how does the curriculum in the school provide um, development for children to make sure they make as much progress as possible and in the inspections that I've seen and spoken to colleagues about there seems to be much less interested in what the teacher is doing in the classroom and more what the students are doing are they learning what are they learning is it valuable I think one thing that's important to also highlight to the layperson is that Ofsted is basically how people decide what schools they send their children's their children to what's particularly relevant about that is that that essentially changes the whole demographic of an area if you have an Ofsted outstanding school you see a lot of gaming of the system with families moving into areas that have very good outstanding schools um, or good schools and the schools which tend to be in areas that are poorer have higher disadvantaged um, groups tend where the schools are requires improvement often you see that those schools are underfunded because they have less pupils and therefore the system continues to perpetuate itself. So I think that's really important to point out. Yeah, and I think there's also a commonly held belief that if your requires improvement or special measures, yeah. there will be some funding that goes along yeah. with that to improve your school. Yeah. Whereas in fact, what it means is that you will get a reduction in funding because you won't have access to yeah. the additional sources of funding that schools find because you're no longer seen as good enough to be leading the way. Yeah. Um, so schools actually get doubly hit, I think. Also back to Charlotte's point about um, the fact that we've just had these changes, like schools are a bit of a political football. Um, the Lib Dems, I think, uh, are talking about some form of um, organisation that will take over uh, any curriculum changes in future so it'll be taken out of the politicians hands um but i think at this point to have another change including getting rid of ofsted personally you're just going to have to get something in place in terms of um accountability so i would say it's going to be even it's it's just going to be even more change like for, for teachers we don't want more change over and over again so i would say that's something I, to I think disagree about. with that. I mean, I would love to hear from people who are continuing to practice, but even from the outside perspective, sorry, I can see that Ofsted puts a lot of pressure on teachers and a lot of pressure on areas and a lot of pressure on pupils themselves, um, which doesn't actually increase access to opportunity. It doesn't increase outcomes. In fact, it makes things worse all around. A policy of interest was um, uh, suggested by a think tank um, called the Centre for Education Youth around potentially scrapping that outstanding rating. What we've had uh, in the past to deal with is schools with outstanding ratings, as we've mentioned before, not being um, observed, inspected as regularly, Mm. leading to a kind of dramatic downfall in those standards um, and what we are left with are schools that are either coasting or who've had a dramatic nosedive kind of going outside of that kind of sphere of recognition for what the school is and therefore that information that helps parents decide where to send their children is not accurate it's not up to date exactly well yeah um because the inspection process, if I'm right, um, as a non-teacher, like now, is they announce what, uh, is it 24 hours or 48 hours before they inspect? The lunchtime before, yes, lunchtime it is, before the day. It is worth mentioning, the Conservatives said um, that they were going to bring in dawn raids, which was, I, I actually, personally, I, I'm a bit of a fan of, of um, the idea of just rocking up on the day to see what happens. But I don't, it's not going to happen. They say it's never going to be implemented. Even with that, the dawn raid, it sounds like a good idea because then, oh no, we'll see what you're doing right now. But 
like currently, even looking at what they currently do, it doesn't give an accurate picture of the day-to-day running of the school because as soon as anyone knows, okay, Ofsted are coming, then it's preparation of data. And right now it's... Well, very- I'd say it's not data anymore. They're, in the last couple of weeks, um, Ofsted inspections, they haven't even had a data meeting. It's just mm-hmm. progress. So now so it's that- just to do with progress. But even then, it's still a snapshot as opposed to looking at the school's continued progress looking at um, the te- how the teachers are, are getting on how the students are getting on it's um, and then on top of that when you're looking at that taking a snapshot and then penalizing or you know or rewarding a school mm. based on that it doesn't allow for um, best practice I guess to be forwarded and go yeah I think you're absolutely right I think uh, looking at it you know you see we'll get rid of Ofsted we'll make life easier for teachers and of course as a teacher you think well that would be nice it'd be nice not to have that pressure but then as a school leader I'm thinking well who am I accountable to then yeah. you know if if I'm yeah. a parent as well I'm looking at a school for my child to go to and I think well there's some independent body apparently which is actually run by the local authority which has a vested interest in saying that the school is good actually is anyone holding to them to account there's problems with what they're looking at I think in terms of mm. there's a, there is, is an increased look at how the well-being of students and how they're developing as people but not enough I would say I'd say that anti-bullying is not going far enough um, and so in terms of pupil development I think Ofsted could go further I think the difficulty is there's a gulf between the intention of the Ofsted documents when they come out and how they get realised in schools and the mm, way that school absolutely. leaders take that on and right. put that yeah. on the pupils and the parents and the, yeah. st- and the I, staff. I think the pressure, I think the pressure yeah. comes from SLT because yeah. they feel it. Like, I personally, I don't mind Ofsted coming in. I'm like, come in, see, like, I've got a good department, we get good results, we work hard, we've got right. kids from a range of backgrounds. <laughs> um, I'm a music teacher, so we get basically no attention anyway. Oh, well, what's SLT? Sorry, uh, yeah, SLT is senior leadership senior or senior, leadership, management, senior team. management team. Sorry, there's a, there's a lot of pressure on senior leaders. Um, what we've seen over the re- recent years is head teachers just kind of walking out of jobs and 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 buckling under the pressure and that pressure unfortunately goes down through the system onto the teaching staff and that is absolutely wrong and I think that's where we need to change things rather than saying let's get away with the body take away the body that I think it's really important you know we are discussing accountability now and hopefully we'll get on to statutory assessment soon that it's a really important time now is as good as ever a time to really recognize the power that the accountability mechanisms have over schools and the way that they cause them to lurch in one direction over another and um, end up perhaps not meeting the interest of the children that they are serving because of the scramble to be better, to improve, to be at the top. And there are so many ways in which um, these measures, these accountability measures, what Ofsted has said, has caused schools to lurch against um, the best interest. So, and their own values, I think, as values. well. I think that's particularly interesting. People, you know, schools gaming Ofsted because they know that so much is riding on this one word that could define the quality of their teachers the quality of their students the amount of funding that they get the improvements in their schools you know that's problematic off rolling kids you know suddenly Ofsted's coming in and people don't all the naughtiest kids in the school suddenly disappear you know it's it's a complete game of the system when you're talking about data when it was an issue when it was um, something that was looked at Data can be manipulated, whether it's education, whether it's a different field. And lots of schools manipulate their data, not necessarily because they need to, but they feel a pressure to make 
this narrative that doesn't align with either what they've done or what they believe but they know that it's what they need to do what i would say is though the school that i'm currently at has its issues and it's not perfect but they've never gained the system which has always gone against it from a league table point of view and i think there are issues with league tables but they are very good when it comes to the arts when it comes to overall character education but with the new system that ofsted has just brought in it for, for us, it, and, and we were part of the pilot before it came out officially, so we had a sort of unofficial uh, inspection under the new regime. It seemed quite positive. It seemed quite formative, i.e. you learn from it rather than it being summative. And so I think we're a school that's going in the right direction, and Ofsted is now in line with giving us credit for what we're doing. So to then get rid of it, well, we've got to then get something else in its place. So that's this is an interesting point you're mentioning of um, the curriculum. And all of a sudden, we've got some vague harmony between the three parties on the fact that arts are making a comeback. Yeah. Yeah. So we're seeing yes. these premiums all of a sudden, hold on, you guys have only been teaching English and maths because we've been holding you accountable for English and maths. Yeah. You guys don't do sports anymore. Uh, poor children don't learn musical yeah. instruments anymore. So from the Conservatives saying that, they were, that they're going to put in an arts premium to um, all of the major parties saying this, I think that um, curriculum, the um, assessment and the league tables and the points that the parties are making about that can really support this review of what schools are being held accountable to and cause us to move in hopefully a more positive direction across the board and um, be more inclusive in terms of the subjects students are taught and the ways in which they are assessed. Can I briefly talk about the EBAC, um, which is the English Baccalaureate, which the Tories, the Conservatives brought in um, uh, a few years ago? I think actually they were designed to promote students then going on to study what were called facilitating subjects, which have now been scrapped, which were um, the Russell Group, the universities that are towards the higher end of the uh, league tables, saying these are the sort of uh, A-levels that we would like you to study because they're facilitating. Such they, as? Um, such as? English literature, l- the sciences, history, the, history, the traditional languages. academic subjects. Yeah, English and maths. Humanities. So that yeah. actually, the right at the top, the facilitating subjects have now been scrapped um, by all universities as uh, uh, very recently, but the EBAC is still there and schools are very much promoted um, or encouraged to study EBAC subjects for the students to do that because they get double weighting for the league tables for English and maths. So it means as a music teacher, if you're not in that EBAC, like subjects like music are not and, and religious education, um, there's a massive focus on those academic subjects. There's, there's also, so in, in my school, we've moved away from the e-back in terms of trying to put the pressure on that. explain what subjects are in the e-back or in the buckets so there? it's oh the buckets yeah i'm so in a plastic bucket just so you know <laughs> shame yeah so um on that for those who might be confused by the buckets that guy's referring to yance is going to explain what the three different buckets are um to explain basically the levels and if she needs some help we are all going to support thank her thank you it's been a, it's been a while guys i will be going back into the classroom in january but i've been a while it's been a while so my understanding is that um golden bucket Oh, okay. I I mean, I'm not going to talk about the buckets, Lotus. There's a lot of pressure. But um, we need maths, English and English literature, science, a humanity. So that is uh, history or geography, a a modern language, controversial, which is French, German or Spanish. Interesting. European language. Uh, A European language. And then you have got another bucket. Is this the plastic? There's a silver. There's a next grade down, I understand. There's gold, silver and bronze. And then you're the plastic bucket. Yeah, and then you have the buckets that 
you put the other subjects in and they do not count towards EBAC. And the government has a specific league table for the percentage of students in a school which are put forward to do the EBAC. The the important thing is that in the league tables and in the child's progress score, English and maths are double weighted. Then you have the uh, EBAC subjects, the remaining EBAC subjects, so humanities, computing, modern languages. And then you have all the other subjects need to make up... um, eight subjects for a child but they have to have those first ones first and then they have an open bucket as it's been described at the end where they can kind of dump in one just for fun like music and so that's why arts education has taken a massive hit not because people have specifically said don't teach art or we won't fund art but because they've essentially led to that by saying well it's got it gets the fewest points in terms of your progress score and I think that's the point right like the skeptic in me is like oh you have taken away 7.7 billion pounds worth of funding over the last nine years radically reduced access to the arts access to culture the conservative government has reduced funding by 7.7 billion technically it was the coalition as well from 2010 to 2000 which included the conservatives and (laughs) (laughs) and you know the cynic in me is like oh so now as we're coming up to general election you've had nine years to work out that that was a terrible plan to strip funding from education to take away money from the arts to take away money from sports to take away money from anything that provided any child who wasn't a traditionally able student to have any kind of output and now you're going to give back all of the money and suddenly put back all of the interest I mean I'm not convinced by it I just think it's absolute rubbish because also we can see that it's not going to materialize yeah a lot of the parties have talked about curriculum change in order to reflect that, but I'm not seeing much about um, how, therefore, they're going to change GCSEs. Yeah. So we've got big statements about. I don't uh, want them to change. They've just changed. Um, well, maybe I've just that's maybe the that's course for two years and for my key stage five. So then, how Leave are they going to make the Sorry. curriculum changes meaningful, right? Because we talk about the importance of um, accountability being the steer, but if you're going to say we're going to put fluffy subjects in, um, the Liberal Democrats are talking about financial literacy. Yes, um, you know high quality PSHE LGBTQ um, yeah. you know relationship age, age appropriate um, Labour has talked about plans to include uh, black, history. black history these are things yeah. that I think I think as educators we really mm. we're Absolutely. really excited about you know across but actually if we're not talking about changing what the assessment is and, 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 and those sorts of things no one's then... mentioned scrapping progress 8 so it's not about changing the actual curriculum on oh, the GCSEs please explain, please explain progress 8 progress 8 is this idea that you have um, 8 subjects which add up to give you a score in terms of your uh, progress that you've made from the end of year six. So can, can I also just highlight, because I think non-teachers may not know this, the progress score from what I understand is made of how you did in English and maths and science at primary school. They just take English and maths. Things, yeah, just, uh, just English, English and maths. Mm. I don't know if they take into account postcode and things like that. No, no they not, just they take into account your results. And then they will project what you should get at 16 as a point. And if you get zero, that means you get the results that you were expecting to get. And if you get <laughs> plus one, you just get... get if, if, That's... Yeah. That's yeah, it. So that I mean that's yeah, that's exactly right. So they um so your English and math scores dictate what the country thinks you'll get in music and art and drama, as well as English and maths and languages, all those subjects. So they use two grades to predict all your results. And they, I'm held to account in terms of how much I'm paid, how, yes. how good my little kid who plays the piano is based on his maths. Yeah, I mean it is school. it is based on norms, isn't it? So it's it's referencing how people have done historically who've got those grades have ended up with but of course this is it's becoming more credible. But in the first instance they didn't have 
things to back it against. So it seemed, maybe I'm being cynical, like quite a stab in the dark and quite punitive um, in terms of trying to demonstrate that these children weren't succeeding. And that we, what we mustn't forget is, yes, for teachers, that's really frustrating and unfair. For the students, that's even worse. They get told that you're not performing to expected standard when you've made an enormous amount of progress and against all odds, you've come out really well. All of that's ignored. All right, I was going to say, so I'm going to end up sounding like a broken record as we go on with this, because essentially, like every time we keep talking about accountability, it's to do with who's being measured, how they're being measured and who's doing the measuring and whether it's fair. When really and truly, when we're looking at what the education system could and should or should be it should be about supporting people right supporting students through their learning supporting teachers to be the best they can be supporting a more um culturally responsive curriculum um supporting parents through the through that process of being more involved um in the schools if they can um making sure like all of it to do with funding curriculum um everything is supposed to be about support but rather we go at the assessment level as in like how are we making sure you're doing what we what we think you should be doing as opposed to how do we help because everything has to be measured (laughs) yeah and i think that's problematic right to go back to your earlier point if those progress eight measures completely ignore if you've arrived in the country you know a month before the before the test was taken if your family english is not your spoken language it's it's very very controversial measure i think but yeah and i think we need to go on to look at other areas but i think i think we would be remiss if under accountability we didn't talk about the proposal to scrap the key stage one and two sats which are the statutory assessment for primary school children um which I, I guess, I come at everything through uh, the prism of what does this mean to children, for children who are poor, who are um, racialized minority, ethnic groups, who have special educational needs. I think um, Labour and Lib Dems, the, the kind of, the idea that we are going to scrap these things because we do see uh, children in year six being stressed, being withdrawn from other classes so they can concentrate on English and maths. So there is something deeply wrong and broken with how SATs are administered. But the idea that we should replace them as a a knee-jerk reaction with teacher-led assessment leads us to another problem, which is that teacher-led assessments are proven to be biased. Teachers bring their understanding of the world to their assessment with all the best will in the world. And they say, I know that child meant this if that child comes from a wealthy background and they mark them up. And I'm not sure that child could have possibly meant this if they come from a poor background or if they're from an ethnic minority. And this is something that is born in facts. And this is something that's interestingly, we're not trained about. So leaving children from these backgrounds uh, at the kind of the teacher's mercy, I am a teacher, but leaving that to not have um, kind of external qualifications that are anonymized means that we entrench that inequality throughout the system and we cannot afford to do that. Even if teachers are trained on unconscious bias, it's too endemic for us to simply scrap... um, we're just too close. I mean, you know, you put your life and soul into the classroom, into the students, and therefore you are too close to be the person deciding their assessment if that's going to be used for their to dictate their future i i completely it's, agree it's, it's absolutely so vital that and yeah. we know and we know and whether it's whether it's us as teachers that understand we we, we gain some sort of understanding you know, over the next five years about these biases and we come to we we overcome them when these children go out into the workplace when these children of color when these poor children go into the workplace they need a qualification they need to be better qualified um, than their peers to get access to the same work which again is kind of borne out into research so there is something br- 
broken about the SAT system as it is. When I did um, SATs, I didn't know, I didn't realise that like, that was what I was doing. Somebody wrote geniuses at work on the board, spelled completely wrong and it was beautiful. And we, <laughs> so we played around and we did a couple of tests. So there, again, all of these things, they call for review and reform, but there has to be a sense of what is the outcome that we want here. And I'm a little yeah. disappointed with Labour's policy since they are the people that I would look to for that liberation or that progressive look. And the outcome being that that could quite, that could stymie the the kind of the gains that um, young people of colour have made, particularly in London and poor people. So I think they really need to relook at the scrapping of SATs there. I would say, though, that across the three parties, from what I have seen, the Conservatives seem to come out the worst on that, just in general. That a lot of their manifesto promises... They come out the worst on everything, really, don't they? Mm, a lot of their manifesto promises... They do. Funding, A lot of their manifesto everything. promises related to education are very surface level. Mm. And they or just... punitive. Punitive, or essentially they just think they should throw money at the problem. They're going to throw they're back all the money. They're not saying they're going to throw money. They're not going to throw no, it no, back. They're going to give back all the money that they should have put in the, in the the into the system, but they just decrease. So, you know, if you compare the Labour government's... Um, even the even the should we, should we go government. on to funding? Should we? Should we yeah, should we, okay. we should because so, even yeah. that idea that they are giving funding when we look when we start breaking it down, yeah, they're exactly. actually not exactly. <laughs> if you look at the real terms funding that's gone into education, you know, when you look at the Labour government, statistically speaking, what was it? They increased funding in education by seventy eight percent. What did that result in? That resulted in better performance. It resulted in schools in London going from the worst schools in the country to some of the best schools in the country as a result of the London challenge because money was put into the system. Now we look at a conservative government i'm excited (laughs) we look at the conservative government and what you see is real-time cut in investment into education so all the problems we've discussed related to ofsted related to funding related to the gate the system being gamed is fundamentally as a result of money being cut so now they're saying they're going to put money back in and i just don't believe it so i've got a few stats and i'd be interested to know what what you guys think in terms of funding. So first of all, I think it's important to highlight that the IFS highlighted that spending per pupil in England fell by 8% in real terms from 2009-10 to 2017-18. As a teacher in a school, that means that my head teacher for the last three years has got to the end of the financial year and has said, we've got half a million pounds that we need to make up. We need to increase the number of teaching hours that teachers are teaching, increase the number of students coming into the classroom we're going to reduce your budgets mine's gone down by 85 percent for my general budget spending uh, etc etc so that is the situation that we are in Um, on on top of that there was this beautifully well publicized 2.75 percent increase for all teaching staff uh, from backdated this september which we've all just benefited from lovely Uh, the government talked all about how it was the so the current conservative government talked all about how this was a funded uh, increase for teachers to help recruitment and retention the reality of that is that 0.75 percent of that increase was funded by the government The rest of it was what they called affordable, meaning schools need to cut their budgets. So we created a budget before this was decided by the government, because it's a very late in the day announcement. Uh, We then had to make a 1% cut across our entire budget to afford this, which means that, yes, our teachers are momentarily happy to have a bit more money in the bank. They're going to have larger classes. There will be fewer teachers. There will be fewer teaching assistants. Everything has been cut because the government said 2.75 and gave 0.75. And also for people 
that may not be aware of school budgets, 85% of school budgets are uh, the staff salaries. So if you increase this, if you tell the school that they have to increase not the salaries schools, of the staff. But that's the, that's the baseline for a lot of there, It's between 80 and, 80 and 90 the staff salaries. If you are at 90% of the school where you're a governor, it's too high. <laughs> no, uh, no, but it's, it's, it's going to be more than, it's going to be high. more than, it's going to be more than 75% in a school. I think the government uh, expects it to be around 50 or 60%, which is just completely outrageous and, and impossible. I mean, th- that would have us at class, class sizes of 40 or 45. Can I tell you something I am excited about? So apparently we recognise that uh, we need funding in schools and education. That's exciting. Um, the other thing is uh, the policy present in everybody, but the Conservatives, as far as I can see, investment in early years. Yeah. Um, that has been proven to, and again, I'm coming, I always will, I'll come, I'll be rooting for the children who are disadvantaged by education. And the figures are when students at three or four years old first interact with the education system if they are poor they have already been disadvantaged coming in so it is vital if we're going to achieve equality which was in you know one of the first sentences of the conservative manifesto as the aim of the system that we have to put a lot of money there and that means a lot of things and I'm glad that I've got a whiff of an understanding of that from Labour and the, and the Liberal Democrats. What they talk about the need for child care, they talk about the need of funding um, for uh, parents from, from nine months, I believe, in the Liberal they Democrats. Go, yeah, I was going to say, they go quite years. different, don't they? Because yeah. the Lib Dems say from nine months, so i.e. A, a parent who's got parental leave, that ends at nine months and they can have free childcare from then. And they also say 35 hours a week. So that allows somebody to work full-time both parents can work full-time which makes a massive difference to the income of the family as opposed to the 30 hours for two to four-year-olds for labor and 30 hours for three and four-year-olds for conservatives so they they all say it's important but what that means in practice for each party is very different very different i saw again an an inflection the labor party one about okay therefore the standard of education of early years education so everybody in training to be qualified um and the idea that we're going to again raise salary for that group and they mentioned that this is a, a you know a feminized profession that it's mostly women that are going to benefit from that increased salary which I am here for. Can I also just say with early years um, I think maybe again people don't understand they, they may not know the impact the investment in early years has really at secondary it's hard okay it's really hard to say damage limitation because actually you can change lives but if you've got a kid with a reading age of 19 when he's 11 and a kid with a reading age of five when he's 11 and then you're in your classroom which i regularly have it's such a challenging task you've got to get it right at four or three you've just got to put it in then and there's no point in piling in the the money when they're 16 17, yeah and i think 18. again to speak to the layman why do we care so much about early years because as you've just said that's really where the huge bulk of development happens for a child so if you get that wrong which a lot of the policies so far have really made it difficult for early years to have any kind of boost um then really you're creating problems much further down the line and that you know this this goes into the criminal justice system this goes into work this goes into everything if things go wrong at the baseline that those problems will follow them throughout their lives we don't talk enough about the fact that you know people and labor party particularly is criticizing the private school system at um, primary and secondary school but we don't talk enough about the fact that early years is privatized almost exclusively there is there is a small amount of free childcare available to some families um but 
essentially it's privatized which means if you have the means you can pay for your child to have really strong so you can go to work and your child can have really good education and fun and have a brilliant time and if you can't they don't and it's fairly black and white you know and therefore we talk about disadvantage at secondary school being impossible to reverse but actually it's probably impossible to reverse at primary school when you look at a system which is absolutely unfair because it completely pushes out anybody who doesn't have the financial means, let alone all the other things. Which I think really, you know, pulls on the issue of private schools, which I think maybe a lot of a lot of listeners might find interesting. Obviously, one of Labour's kind of key highlights is that, or what they originally suggested at their conference was that they would abolish private schools. Now they've kind of taken a back step, tempered it, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. made it a bit more palatable, perhaps for the wider population. um, And they're going to take consultation on that. But I think um, it is important to raise that only 7% of the population is privately educated. And yet, despite that, over 70% of all of the most elite professions, so we're talking professions that are lawyers, doctors, um, even actors, creatives are occupied by people in that have gone to a private school. And that is a huge problem. So looking at the private school issue, I mean, it would be great to know what you guys think. I'm personally not for private schools. I think if you are for equality, it's very difficult to be for a private school myself. But I know that that's... I mean, in a similar related point uh, is is the grammar school question, which, um, you know, the Conservatives are quite happy to continue that expansion. (laughs) I went to a grammar school. I benefited. I feel like I was... um, I feel like I was one of maybe three or four people that went back to my council flat after grammar school. Therefore, that group of people that 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 benefited from it. But I did wonder why all my friends were skiing and in their second kind of homes. Um, what what really when I started to work for Teach First, I understood that you know grammar schools in an area impoverishes the quality of education outside of it. For every it, grammar, it, you get a secondary modern. Exactly. Um, it's and a secondary modern is a school is a kind of a sync school. It's where everybody everybody else kind of has to, has to gather so I think we have to think more responsibly and beyond our own interest to understand that if we want high quality and we're not compromising high quality by doing these things it's, it's the opposite we're allowing high quality to be democratized and to be you know accessible to more people. I, I have to say I'm, I'm pleased that the Labour Party are taking consultation not because I disagree with your points I 100% agree but because I think that if we don't do this carefully we actually could end up causing more problems because as you say you know you benefited Yancey from um, going to a grammar school and some people are benefiting from these things and for some people getting to a grammar school will mean that they get a little bit more equality than they could have had now that's not an acceptable system the system is broken but we need to make sure when we try to fix it that we do it in a responsible way which is thinking of the most disadvantaged people first and then working what is best for them because they've been disadvantaged for too long, any time is too long, and then everyone else can fit into their system because that would be a responsible way of doing it. Exactly. I don't even have a point beyond that. Exactly. (laughs) If you build build a system that works for the people who are most disadvantaged, it works for everybody. I think what you picked up on also is this thing about expediency. One thing that we've definitely seen in this in this government, which has been highly problematic, is the speed of reform. So whether or not we abolish private schools, keep grammar schools, whatever, you've really hit on the point, Charlotte, that you need to do whatever you do slowly with consultation with people in the field, understanding the long, the short term consequences, which this government just has not done. The other thing that um, just on that point is that while we're sitting here, it sounds like, oh, it's a generic 
sort of people who are talking education and going through the manifesto. This is about people who are going to be voting in the election. And so it's more than just looking at a policy that you think, you know, fits in with your personal ethos, but thinking about the effects it will have in the short, in the medium, in the long term. And you go, okay, well, what kind of society is it that we want to have? Whether the government you gets in, you know, you want to get in, gets in or not. And if they do get in, in the long term, you know, what kind of effect are they going to leave on the system for if they continue being um, in power or if they end up, you know, losing power in another election? We have to think beyond ourselves and sometimes even beyond our own experiences as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to try a delayed segue. We talked about um, the importance of considering uh, people who are vulnerable or not like us. And I think it's interesting how we feel about behaviour, about exclusions and about the possible expansion of alternative provision under Conservative government. Alternative provision is where students are sent if they have been excluded from mainstream education. Um, I think uh, in, I'm going to say 2017, oh, sorry, IPPR, I'll get that I'll get that up in a second did a study into exclusion uh, who is excluded how often how much does it cost what is the effect on it and exclusion is found to be uh, happening too frequently it is incredibly costly and it is happening to kids who are poor traumatized exploited have special educational needs um etc etc who are you know racialized minorities you name it it's all in there the intersections thereof what kind of results are they getting terrible ones so i'm pretty horrified like 80% more likely to get involved in crime yeah, i mean in the prison. dovetail yeah. is just students there. who are excluded at 12 five times more likely to end up in prison so so we're talking about money that is being put in to alternative provisions or money the funding for education when actually you know that that's going to be taken out it's costing billions of pounds per cohort of excluded children so it is absolutely essential that we rid ourselves of whatever accountability measure it is that forces head teachers uh, leaders of multi-academy trust mats to opt for that before they opt for rehabilitation thank you IPPR is the Institute of Public Policy Research it's 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 so important for equality you know if you want to be ethical do it if we want to save our money and keep free people out of prison we need to absolutely ensure that we're doing right by that group of and students yet- the Conservative uh, government wants to, sorry, I will let you speak. <laughs> and yet the Conservative government wants to support head teachers to, to, to create more exclusions yeah. and therefore, what is it? Have more exclusions and increase funding towards alternative provision. Makes sense, at least if you're going to have a policy that's going to increase the need for alternative provision, you fund it properly. But exactly. Yeah, fund more prisons while you're at it then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and, I th- and I think the fact that people ask why... Um, teachers have views of the conservatives in terms of education if they're reducing in real terms the amount of money that we're getting and then saying that they think it's a good thing that head teachers should be empowered to exclude i mean i just feel that that's pandering to to parents that don't understand the education system like it also just doesn't work i mean it's not just it doesn't work for the individuals who are excluded it doesn't it's not a deterrent so what you don't find in schools that do exclude is that there are then no people who are excluded after that in fact often once a school starts excluding they exclude more and more and more 
So it doesn't work for the child is excluded. Of course it doesn't. But it also doesn't work for the other children and it leads to even more disadvantage. And the, the number of children with SEND, special educational needs, um, disabilities who are excluded as a percentage is much higher than they make up as a percentage of the cohort. So, But I do, I do think we need a, a coherent alternative provision because it, you know, as a governor of a um, an AP school, you can do amazing things because you have much higher levels of funding per pupil for students with incredibly high levels of need and you could have that one-to-one you can have that tailored approach it could well be schools like mine that have been sort of battering the door down to the government saying we need more money in alternative provision and one little known fact is that alternative provision funding does not exist at post 16 there is no There is no funding for it. So our school, which is 14 to 18, we are having to run an alternative provision style approach with the same level of funding that FE further education colleges from 16 to 18 get, but with which is or don't absolutely we don't get, which is absolutely <laughs> tiny. So it's, it's, it's a real um, challenge. To your point, some of the things that I guess that we have to be talking about then is also not just to do with the um, sort of like physical money that schools have, and the tra- but it's also to do with the training of teachers and the culture that exists within schools. Because you're talking about AP in uh, in the sense that um, you can actually do some really amazing stuff and see these children as whole human beings, as opposed to um, some of the academies that Rivers works in where they're, listen, these are numbers that we either need to cut because they're going to affect our funding later on, or... You know, these are just bad kids. They're no good. They don't really want to be here. They don't want to. They don't want to learn. Which also is a difference in view from um, sometimes some of the SLT, depending on the kind of, especially if you're in an academy, and versus the teachers who actually work with those students and know them, like you said, who are quite much closer to them, but then feel like, well, if you're overworked and you've got to look after thirty plus kids. I, I think I think it all comes back to funding, and we can probably move on to uh, re- recruitment, recruitment and retention, retention actually, at this point. And I just think, just to mention the sort of the wider aspect of things, if we look at the manifestos and all the other aspects of it, it's to do with funding so we can do what we want with the children. So if you look at what the Lib Dems um, are going to do or what Labour are going to do, they're going to increase um, public sector pay, Labour, by 5% across the whole of the public sector. So teachers would get a pay rise. Same with Lib Dems, they do it by 3%, but also other um, services like social services. On a day-to-day basis, my job involves a kid who's got massive issues, bad attendance, they don't turn up. You go to social services, you try and get that support, and they just say, I'm afraid that they're not extreme enough because we haven't got the money. We can only focus on the top 20 families in this area. So I just wanted to highlight that that additional funding yeah, so it's issue. interesting if they, you know, if they increase money towards education, if the Conservative government maintains its position, they need to increase funding into all other areas because education is intrinsically linked to everything else. It is, it is linked to health and social care, it's linked to health problems, mental health we haven't mentioned, um, you know, future output, where you end up working, all of that is all linked so. And, we, and, and there's so much focus on increasing salaries for teachers. Yes, exactly. And, you know, of course, I'm not going to say no to a bit more money. But, but the reality is that actually teachers aren't leaving. No one's listening to teachers about why they're leaving exactly. the profession. Thank part you. of it is workload. Exactly. Yes. Part it's of it is money. also... No. Not part secondary of it, as well. De- yeah, definitely not. But part of it's also, it's not just about workload. It's also about knowing that whatever you do, it's not enough. And I think, you know, if you're teaching a child who has severe mental health issues, but they have a 19-month waiting list to get a CAMS appointment, so that's a child 
adolescent mental health service appointment. That's just an appointment to be assessed to see whether or not they can have access to a counsellor. That is absolutely soul destroying to watch you know you go into education to bring out the very best in the children you work with and when you know that nothing you do is going to make that difference that is very very difficult to live with and um, seeing those services being cut left right and center and not being able to do anything about it in my school and my trust of schools we've brought in our own mental health workers we've brought in our own educational psychologists we have put aside budget across the 10 schools to pay for that it's not enough but it's something but schools are taking on all of that as well as teaching and learning that's it's too much so again with recruitment and retention uh the figures have just come out for this year we have massively uh not hit the government has not hit its recruitment recruitment and retention for the last seven years yeah it's it's been it's got worse and worse and what's the answer increase teacher starting salaries to thirty thousand pounds it's i mean as someone who's left the classroom um i think it is you know you hit exactly the nail on the head shoulder i love teaching i love being in a classroom i love being in front of students it's my favorite thing and actually i forgot to mention in my introduction that i am actually an access coordinator as well at an adult education college very important but the point being that i took that job in addition to being the co-founder of my company because I still love teaching I don't want to leave the classroom but I could not hack the pressure like I'm not I I didn't have the stamina potentially I had the resilience to do it but I just didn't I didn't see the point in putting myself through that I think really for what reason as somebody who is re-entering the classroom for the third time just (laughs) dabbling sticking the toe in I think there is something to be said by the desire of so many people to make it work and make it sustainable I was having a conversation you mean you're not doing it for the money Uh, (laughs) unbelievably so you know I I'm going back to teach human children and the amount of times that I'm hearing about colleagues begging to go um, down to point eight so to teach you know four days or something I think the inflexibility um, of of teaching the idea that you cannot easily do it part-time that you cannot easily start um, later in the day these things I would like to see addressed I think it's very easy to throw a figure out there might pique the interest of graduates but what happens by five years we've got attrition unlike like anything else and now we're looking at teachers going abroad I heard today and please excuse me if it well anyway we've got figures resembling those of Guyana where my parents are from a tiny place in South America in terms of teachers training being trained and moving abroad it's pretty similar numbers year in year out so we're facing a massive attrition like this sector will only be as good as the champions of it which are us the teachers and the people that care deeply um, about it going well if we are unable to withstand the pressures of it and we cannot make it sustainable then we are going to continue to have these problems no matter what the inspector asks us to do which means the which means then the expectations on you have to be reasonable it's unreasonable to expect a teacher with the current workload which is already too much as it is um, to then also be a counsellor, to be a social worker and a liaison with, you know, the parent trying to get, you know, um, funding for housing and benefits and, and all the yes. other things that teachers are yes, forced to have do to do that. to try out of love for the classroom, for out the of children. love for the children. The students, that whether they're adults or children, you do right. the same thing. And it, it, it's, yeah, it's unreasonable. It's an unreasonable amount of pressure to put on someone in the end. So you are facing burnout. Um, the reason why Rivers exists is because the founder was, she couldn't do it anymore. She said she couldn't do it anymore. Really 
interesting question is whether or not any of the parties actually deal with recruitment and retention they deal with the entry point of teachers they none of them mention what happens to keep people the, the, well the lib uh, the lib dems oh, have spoken about a certain amount yeah, of hours the, of training oh yeah, yeah the lib dems have committed to right, yeah, they've right, committed right, to yeah. the cdp um cpd, yeah, CPD. 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 50 hours yeah, per sorry, year yeah. by 2025 which is interesting because we're actually apparently the industry that is worse for cpd yeah so i just wanted to highlight that um 40,000 teachers quit in 2016. So if that gives viewers, um, listeners, um, uh, an idea of the number of people that are leaving the classroom. So if the Lib Dems want to put 20,000 in, A, where are you going to find them? B, it still doesn't actually address the issue with incredibly highly qualified people leaving the classroom. Yeah, I think there was a statistic actually a few years ago that said that there were more qualified teachers outside of the classroom than there were in the classroom. Yeah, because so many leave after five years. Um, and there was a there has been a um, program set up to try and get people back into teaching called the return to teaching program uh, I'm not sure of the success of it but I know how difficult having been the person in charge of that in my school for a while uh, the difficulty in actually getting people even through the door of a school let alone back into the classroom to be honest once you've left I and I would love to hear what you think Yance, and you've seen how other people live and how their time works, you're just like, wow. I'm, I mean, I've got world. an anecdote that makes me look really good. Um, <laughs> I, went ba- I went back to the secondary school that I taught in four years ago um, on when on Wednesday because I'm going to start teaching there again. And I bumped into two year 11 girls and they said, Miss, did you teach us in year seven? Yes, Miss, you look good. We look tired. And I was like, well, both of these things are true because I have slept a lot in the last four years. Yes, I have done hot yoga of a morning and I remember getting reintroduced to my head teacher and the vice principal said doesn't yes I look I mean listen listen guys don't don't look at me but um, (laughs) uh, the vice principal said to the to the head teacher she's been going to 6 45 a.m hot yoga this is me feeling very virtuous that head teacher said well that's the first thing that's going to have to go because I would get to school late um if I were to do that so we have a program at Teach First called Reconnect to Teaching it there was a pilot I think it's starting small and the idea is actually a lot of people are are thinking Yes, maybe, but it would have to be part-time at this pay, this specific role, no key stage three, which are children between uh, the age of 11 and 14, because they find that, you know, the crowd management to be difficult. So there are certain, definitely certain attributes to a good quality of life that those people are seeking that schools are just unable to offer. So I do welcome Labour's proposal to increase the planning time. So, you know, you're on a full timetable, but you have to have fewer classes because you need more time to plan for that. We do that in the evenings out of our kind of goodwill. Um, My school, our directed hours are between eight and five. So generally you plan before eight and after five. Um, So these are things that really have to be addressed and I think in a much more explicit way. I think that was the thing that used to really annoy me when I was a a teacher about people who used to say, oh, I work really, really hard. I'd be like... You get overtime for every single hour that you spend doing the extra work that you do. You get overtime, you get toil, you get holidays whenever you want. We get told we're not very good. So we will work from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., 12, you know, it's 12 hour day, five days a week, most days or yeah, or six days. And there is no reward in that. There is no reward. But the, the reality is that if you don't do it, no, no, if you don't do it, the children are the ones that suffer. 
It's not like in I any just, other if job. If we right? mind, though, we, we get good holidays, which we should have. It's incredibly intense. I, I just think if, if we're talking to the electorate, there are people that will n- not get it. And I would just say, go and work in a school for a day. Don't have an opinion unless you've gone and you've worked in a school for a day. But anyway, the job here is for us to get people to, to vote for the for the um, and party that will make things better. And just on that note on how much time you guys spend, um, as teachers, if you are spending, you know, 10 to 12 hours, having 10 to 12 hour days, the students also having 10 to 12 hour days because they're starting early, having to be at school for eight. 8.30, maybe 9 if you're good, but then going home, doing having to do their home, forgetting their commute home, but then needing to do homework, and which is then extending their day as well. And these are children. They're not being paid. Again, yeah. Students in my school paid. don't work too hard, just like to point that. <laughs> that is not an issue. But yeah. But I, think, yeah. I think there's also, it's, it's about what the expectations are. And I think we've seen a significant change in uh, parental and student expectations of teaching staff uh, recently as well and so that's something that should be thought about but it's about communication isn't it of what this job is and how it works so should we just turn to lifelong learning there is a lot of interest in the big one tuition fees to be or not to be the liberal democrats are looking like they are going to review it that's all very contentious for them yeah um, <laughs> labor party can happily say that they are going to abolish them and they're going to bring back um if you're talking about further uh, further education fe the em the Educational Maintenance uh, Allowance, which was wicked growing up. And um, they're going to bring back maintenance grants for people who otherwise cannot afford to go to university. I think we've understood from this last experiment on tuition fees or the Liberal Democrats and their manifesto have reflected on uh, the issues of access, quality, etc. of the education that you're getting if you are saddled with debt and um, how much of a deterrent that is for people who are not well off. So that is now of interest that we are reviewing that. Can I give my three views on higher education? Um, one thing which we haven't talked about for the whole thing, and I really hope that we've beaten the other groups, which is Brexit. Um, yeah. um, I've, I found out today that our, as a result of an FOI request, Freedom of Information, um, there are thousands of academics that are leaving British universities as a result of Brexit. I think like over 10,000 academics have left. Um, so again, I think the party's views on Brexit will have an implication uh, will implicate um, what happens in higher education. Um, And when it comes to funding, I think we should have a graduate tax. As an EdTech founder, an education technology founder, someone who works within trying to get technology into universities, one thing that we've heard constantly, and, you know, potentially it's an excuse, but I don't believe it is, is we really love this. We would like to commit to it, but we cannot because we can't guarantee our funding because of Brexit. And that has stalled so many plans. You know, even if you're looking at student numbers, one of the great things about being part of Europe for me, is that you get lots of diversity and lots of different people coming in and increasing the quality of, of, of you know, whole person education, that you're, you're wider learning in the world that's not just academically based. So when we're going to le- lose all these people, what's going to happen to how we view the world and, and our place in it? That's, that's kind of my biggest worry. Tuition fees, well, I paid three grand. I think most of us in the room paid three grand. No. You know? No, I paid less. 
You pay well, less. I pay like 1,500. Yeah. But then I like, you know, quadrupled it with the masters. Oh, the, the other issue in terms of incentives is I've found in the classroom, um, because of, of issues with funding for universities, I've had some incredibly academically strong students that go to universities that are not highly ranking and they come back and they've all been offered um, unconditional, unconditional offices because they just want, and they go, oh, wow, I'm, I'm so flattered. I'll go to, um, I'm not. Don't name a <laughs> uh, and yeah so that, that's another issue with with the lack of funding for universities I'm interested in the lifelong learning idea that that labor suggests um, as they link it to as, as I said this this next um, industrial revolution the the green revolution and the idea that people need to learn different ways of working living being if we are going to to face the um, climate crisis with any real hope of overcoming it I think that is incredibly important i i was interested in the the funding for in, uh, english as a second language i think these are speaking to um incredibly good value uh, incredibly f- values that align with my own in terms of uh, uh increasing accessibility inclusion um i think I, I i'm really concerned about the climate crisis i know uh, in terms of curriculum, Liberal Democrats and Labour have talked about bringing that into into the curriculum on the agenda. I think that there is a lot that we need to be held accountable for in education on that uh, go, that goes beyond an ideological uh, question of what we need to do about it into very practical ways that we help our education system play a massive role in management of that. I, I think it is interesting what you said. Actually, both Labour and the Lib Dems do talk, do acknowledge that things are changing and the world is changing, and therefore we need to adapt our education system to match it. You know, we've talked a lot about primary, secondary, but at FE and HE, I find it interesting. And please correct me if I'm wrong that the Conservatives are really lacking in this aspect of their manifesto. There is absolutely no mention of how technology is going to change things, how the, the green revolution is going to come and things are going to change, how AI is going to displace, you know, millions of workers, absolutely millions of workers across the UK. And again, they will have regional disparity in this country in particular. And they will affect the same areas that were affected in the 70s when the mines closed. It will be the same people and the same problems will happen and the same issues will continue to be perpetuated. So it's very interesting for me that conservatives really just, you know, they're going to throw money at all the lower parts of education, but just ignore everything else. The only thing I was going to add to that is only the mention of league tables and that we're going to abolish them at the lower end, but we no mention no mention of keeping it you know of getting rid of it at you know the higher education end which then like you said someone could get an unconditional offer from one place because it's deemed you know not as great an institution and so they may or may not go there because you know they want work just a pause um one thing that the conservatives have discussed in terms of their further education higher education offer is to try and match us to the german system which also includes a kind of vocational technological route and one thing that they propose in their manifesto is increasing their institutes of technology i'm going to be honest this is the first time i've ever heard about them when i read them the conservative manifesto um but when i did do some investigation what i found interesting is that they are they're proposing to increase this um, opportunity to more students but actually the ones that already exist so there are 12 that are already in existence or 14 I think um, and they're already seriously suffering under a lack of funding and they're unable to maintain the kind of quality of education so my immediate questions with that are why are you expanding something that is already suffering and you know 
how what's the evidence that this is going to work i think i think that's the thing that for me is the most problematic about the conservative proposals they've had 10 years to prove their education outcomes but they're increasing all these things that have no evidence base to them just reading on it really briefly iot's seem to be similar to um the technical colleges set up in the u.s where then they will provide like further education but not really degree level where you'd still need to go and get a degree but it would essentially it would be manual labor uh, or lower level work at least um by within the industry and if you did want to get a basically any significant employment you would have to go to a further education um institute and and i'm pretty sure then that well i shouldn't say i'm pretty sure but i know over there the way it works is that none of the qualifications you get would count towards say um you couldn't top up to get a full degree it seems like another way of segregating society by what they're going to call merit academic merit and what really it means is social social disadvantage in in reality so it's just like the grammar school debate it's the same same again but older yeah we and and for that on that note we might uh, the the labor um talking about bringing in again vocational mm. studies we need to be careful about how good that sounds um because as i said these um groups of students that would be drawn to it drawn to things like that need um uh, the the clear transparent qualifications to access um high levels of work and i know that schools relied heavily on vocational subjects to uh, top you know to to do the equivalency and because in the olden days you know btechs uh, and still are you know equivalent to a certain amount of gcse's and they rely heavily on that for certain groups of uh of students so again we need to really look carefully at what the outcome is that we want rather than simply the experience yeah and giving good cultural weighting then to those within okay so now we're just gonna uh, sum up very quickly by uh, highlighting which of the manifestos we think is uh, the best for education so i'm going to start and um i don't have one i'm going to be a bit boring and say between labor and the lib dems i think both of them show uh, a real increase um, in the level of funding, which I think is badly needed in our schools. And there's one specific policy, which I think all um, political parties should subscribe to, which is the establishment of an independent body of education experts, which is in the Lib Dem manifesto, which would um, basically put the power in the hands of uh, educational experts and evidence and away from political point scoring. Um, I think it's it's very difficult to say based on one area, but... Uh, for me, again, Labour and the, the Lib Dems are giving us uh, back funding or reversing cuts, which is very important. Um, and I think also both are looking at how you actually make meaningful change to the educational system. And the system is broken. Uh, for me, I think I would probably fall on experience with the Labour Party, um, as we discussed earlier, having done this well before, put more money back in and made progress. So for me that's probably where I'd put my vote. For the most part, I'm going to be kind of boring and agree with uh, Guy and Charlotte. But I think uh, the Lib Dems policies, I think, are a bit bolder. Um, I think radical change is necessary and they seem to have put into their um, manifesto some uh, more radical leaning, um, I don't know, radical might be a bit a step too far, but more progressive policy um, uh, proposals in their manifesto. And so, yeah, I think theirs is most exciting for education and possibly better. I'm excited about the following 
uh, line in Labour's manifesto where they talk about making schools accountable for the outcomes of pupils who leave their roles. Um, I've kept stressing the importance of accountability, making schools and the system do, um, as it's told, do the right things by students. And I think things like this is we're starting to understand um, what will make uh, pup uh, what makes schools more inclusive. Um, in general, I will be boring and agree now with um, Echo, Charlotte, and um, Guy, um, but that line really stands out for me in Labour's manifesto. Um, unfortunately, I'm also going to add to the echo and say that um, I, I also agree with, um, I think, of the manifestos that we've looked at, Labour and the Lib Dems. For me, it's more, it's not a particular policy. It's actually that it feels more like both of those manifestos have been created based on consulting people who are actually in the profession. And they show... Some of the, you know, some of the labour policies I don't agree with, some of the Lib Dems I don't agree with either. But I think for me, what stands out is that it feels like they want to understand the problems from the inside out and change them from the inside out rather than having a top down approach, which we've seen in our current government. And that is why I would favour their manifesto promises with regard to education. Okay, so guys, that was our education episode. Yes, we hope you enjoyed it. Um, so you can find us on at the Manifesto Read on Twitter and Instagram, and you can subscribe and review us. Please do so. Please do so. We we like the followers. We like the likes. Like and follow. Oh, I don't know why I did that. I'm sorry. That's good. That's good. I like it.